Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Titus, and today I'm joined by Flag Taylor for another conversation in our series on Polish movies that deal with World War II and the Cold War and the problem of memory surviving with dignity as human beings in Poland. We have already covered Andrzej Wajda's Katyn about the terrible slaughter of the Polish elites by the Soviets. Today we are moving to the most prestigious Polish director extant, Andrzej Wajda being dead. That is to say, Paweł Pawlikowski. He was born in 1957, but it is only now that he has arrived at his great success and recognition. His latest two movies, which we will be covering in successive podcasts, Ida and Cold War, have both been nominated for the Oscar. Ida won the Oscar for Best Foreign Film, and now Cold War, his recent movie that came out in 2018, is nominated not just as the Polish submission for Best Foreign Film, but also for Pawlikowski himself as Best Director, and for the cinematography, which we will get to talk about. He has made black and white cinematography morally significant again, and emotionally gripping. He has also won for his most recent movies the great prize in Cannes. So this is the time to talk about Pawlikowski himself. Ida was his first movie about his native Poland. It came out in 2013, but it was only in wide release in 2014, so it only got to win the Oscar in 2015. This is a story about Poland in the 60s and about the end of World War II and the beginning of the Cold War in Poland. It has a certain relationship to his own life. His paternal grandmother was murdered in Auschwitz because she was Jewish. And this will tie to the story of the film and will show that part of Pawlikowski's return to Polish movies in this decade is also a recovery of his own family's memory and his own relationship to Poland, which is complicated to say the least. In a broad sense, his movies are about telling the truth and whether people can live with knowing the terrible truth that sometimes emerges in historical catastrophes and therefore whether the nation can survive with its dignity. As a director, he has a particular interest in this since it is his only real claim to being remembered himself. His movies are not primarily a form of entertainment, although they are beautiful and very interesting to watch. They are primarily a moral matter and this is of course often true of what are called art movies. They examine a human problem that is both localized, in this case, to Poland at the end of World War II, but also that is fundamentally human. And I think that is why his movies have been such a success both in Europe and in America. We will talk more about his past in our next podcast, which also has an autobiographical theme. But for the meantime, I think we can leave it at saying that Pawlikowski is very talented and deserving of the successes he has won lately and likely, of course, to win a few more Oscars now. Flag, thanks for joining me. Thanks for agreeing to talk about all these movies. You're my expert on communism and totalitarianism in Europe. It is an honor always to talk about these things with you and to learn from you. Hello, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. I'm excited to talk about both of these films, both Ida and Cold War. 
Ida I had seen a few years ago and then prompted by you I rewatched it recently and I'm also struck by the visual beauty of Pawlikowski's films and his ability to um, I would say put the viewer in um, uncomfortable mindsets and situations these are not always the easiest movies to watch especially Ida but he certainly has quite a talent for using visual beauty and weaving that in with certain kind of characterization that both draws you in, but uh, makes you feel the discomfort and uncertainty and pain that the main characters are feeling. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and thanks for having me. It's really a unique chance Polish movies have enjoyed a renaissance over the last decade precisely through the work of people like Andrzej Wajda and who was a veteran and the somewhat younger man Pawlikowski and of course Agnieszka Holland to whose movies we have already looked and we will look again. We've discussed Burning Bush and we will talk in future about her new movie about the young journalist Gareth Jones who tried to tell the truth about the Soviet murder, the genocide of the Ukrainians in the 30s. Mr. Jones to come out uh, next month. This is quite an impressive array of directors who are trying to tell stories that are supposed to explain both what happened to Poland and to Eastern Europe in a broader sense as it was confronted with Soviets and Nazis and also to give a new moral seriousness both to movies and to people who want to be Polish or in the case of other movies German or Czech or indeed Ukrainian. And it is also supposed to allow for a new kind of seriousness in the understanding of Europe and this horror of totalitarian tyrannies to audiences in Western Europe and in America, of course, which, as I said, I think is a rare mix of great moral merit and uh, great success, great recognition and prestige from festivals and from awards, of course. Today we're talking about Ida, and so please, Flag, take us through the plot. Sure. This shouldn't take very long. It's a very simple plot. It tells a story in a very finite period of time. When we first meet the main character, Anna, who is a novice, she is living in a convent and she is weeks away from taking her vows. And we learn that she has one aunt that lives in Poland, and the mother superior, the woman who's leading the convent, has sent a letter to Wanda and told her about Anna's intention to take these vows and invited Wanda to come to the service, the ceremony, but has been told that she's not interested. And so mother superior encourages Anna to leave the convent and go meet Wanda and explain her intention in taking these vows. Now when Anna leaves, she discovers from her aunt that she is in fact Jewish, her Jewish name is Ida. She and Wanda go on a mission to sort of uncover the terrible truth about Ida's family's past. We learn that her parents and brother were murdered by Poles during the Nazi occupation. So we see Anna dealing with that terrible truth, and we see Wanda doing the same thing. Wanda's an interesting character, too. She had been a prosecutor in the early to mid-50s, responsible for prosecuting probably high-level Communist Party members. So this would have been during the Stalinist phase of communism in Poland. And then uh, by the mid-60s, when the um, movie is set, she is now a judge, a magistrate. Also, when Anna is on the outside of the convent, she meets a young man, a jazz singer, and they become romantically involved. But by the end of the film, Anna decides to return to the convent and take her vows. 
so again, the film is spare in the sort of time frame that it covers, but it harkens back to these awful realities about Anna's past. We see Anna trying to sort through the difficult truths that she confronts. Anna is not given to emoting on screen, right? She doesn't have any long soliloquies or dialogues with other characters about what she thinks about what's happening, but we're given to glean her reaction from her actions. The skill that Pavlikovsky shows as a director is, in this movie at least, is not dialogue, but it's really just watching and learning how the characters react to these difficult truths. Yes, that's very well put, Flag. The story by itself is shocking, and this is hard to watch, hard to think about, hard to talk about. And he wisely refrained from adding melodrama or even high operatic drama. Instead, he lets the camera do a lot of the work, and he insists throughout on characterizing Anna, Ida, as a nun, or a nun in training, since she's just a novice at this point. That is to say, she displays a moral seriousness that is rare, and not just in young people, of course, and that by itself makes an argument for faith tacitly but very strongly suggesting that it is not impossible for human beings to face tragedy and evil worse than tragedy and make it out fairly sane. Mm -hmm. The black and white movie has a certain vibrancy of its own that I think we might teach people all over again why once upon a time black and white movies were so famous. The use of shadows and of lighting suggests to you what is important and elicits sentiments just in the way in real life the flickers of light have the power to do to attract our attentions and to disturb us in certain ways. There's quite a lot of art put in the service of examining this moral question. How can you live with knowing the terrifying things that you have survived, so to speak? Right. Yeah. And I would also say that it's interesting if you think about what Anna has and has not confronted up to the moment that we meet her in the film. Right. We learn eventually that she was obviously an orphan, but was brought to the orphanage when she was quite small. So she has known nothing of the outside world really at all, I think we have to assume, until she leaves the convent to go meet Vanda. We're forced to really think about what would have enabled her to navigate the confrontation with this horrible reality that she's exposed to. It's not like she has been given by Mother Superior, here's what you can expect <laughs> when you go outside. You, you know, your aunt was a Stalinist prosecutor, <laughs> you know, none of that. And so it really has to be a kind of inner strength that is developed through faith and the way that she has been raised by these nuns. Yeah, indeed. The introduction of the movie, which is all about the nuns, their devotion to Christ and their life together in the monastery, forces you to think about what the problems Ida are going to face are. The two major problems, one of them, which is a common suspicion, is these people, monks, nuns, they live very sheltered lives. They have not seen any of the ugliness of the world. And indeed, her aunt, who is a very worldly woman, says that at some point. What exactly are you sacrificing by your vows since you don't really have any connection to the world? And that's one problem. The other one is how is Anna, by her Catholic name, Ida, by her Jewish name given at birth, how is she going to deal with a world that has taken so much from her, that has deprived her of so much? To start with family, friends, childhood, as people commonly think of these things. She has had none of these experiences. You wonder how will she deal with the world? These things are never said 
they are only shown and the moral strength of the character has an unusual dignity precisely because of her discipline of silence and her ability not to lose her mind or to start shouting in the places where you maybe would expect that. It's rare to find any such discipline and it's very important to notice the moral argument made by this form of movie making. First of all, this is a short movie, it's 82 minutes on the clock, but actually if you take out the end credits, it's 77 or shorter than that. Pavlikovsky does his work very quickly, but he does it in a way that brings the movie very close to a documentary, which is where he started, That's that was his career in the 90s, his first successful movies, his first awards and international recognition. In this case, the point is asking the question, who could stand in judgment of Poland in the 1960s? Who could be a true witness, unbiased in a way by the past, but also not blind morally to human things? Ida is a pretty good witness to events and to characters, partly because of her own steadiness. She seems to be a sensible girl and to not give in to blinding passions but partly it would seem to be because of her faith and the religious education she received. Perhaps in good times, it would just seem like a young girl who's sacrificing all the nice things and all the fun she could have. But if you think about life in more serious ways, then you begin to appreciate the worth of such an education, since it can preserve people from madness. Yeah. Titus, just to go back to the question that you first mentioned that's brought up by Wanda, this notion that Anna or Ida should be aware of what she's sacrificing. Do you think Anna internalizes that question and that becomes something that drives her, that she takes that idea to heart? Or is it the case that her motivations remain pretty much what they were at the outset of the film? I'm just wondering what you think about how this initial conversation and confrontation with Wanda may or may not change her motivation. I guess my read is that it doesn't change it in any dramatic way. But again, the evidence is so spare, it's hard to know with any precision. I think the movie is done essentially in three parts. At first, Anna does not even want to leave the convent and meet her aunt. And of course, the knowledge that her aunt rejected her knowingly, that is to say that she knew about the orphanage, about the monastery, that the nuns had written to her and she simply wrote to them back, I'm not interested, doesn't encourage her to go see this last relative, her last connection to the world at all. But she does go and see her, and I suppose partly because she's already detached, she's not very judgmental. But at that point, she doesn't have any real connection to the world. The second part of the movie is very different because she does take on something from her aunt. It's her aunt who tells her you have to know who you were, who you are. You have to know your family, your past, and what happened to them. You have to learn the ugly truth. The girl does take this on as a mission, and it is her, young though she is and inexperienced, not her much more experienced and somewhat powerful aunt who deals with the sacred character of family. And then the third part allows her finally to confront the question of what life is worth living. And she does so in full freedom, since now she knows the facts, and they have a personal and existential importance for her. The ugly truth is not simply news, it is her personal existence. So I think that she does grow morally in a significant way and at the same time her fundamental resolve never changes. She starts the action of the movie with the desire to become a nun and ends that way. Mm -hmm. And what, you think she's about 20 years old? Is that about right? Probably 18, just coming of age. Mm -hmm. 
actually it's not hard to figure out more or less the age because it's 1962 and her parents must have been murdered at the end of the war so that would be 17 years from 45 to 62 mm -hmm. or perhaps a bit more right, since right. she was already born at the time her whole life is tied up with the catastrophe of Poland in between the Nazis and the Soviets and after the war the Soviet occupation and this is the political core of the movie this tells a story that is incredibly shocking and very little known but it is true this sometimes happened her parents were Jews and they were hidden by a family of Poles but eventually somebody in that family murdered them to take their property it is even true that some of the Jews who survived the concentration camps, whereas Pavlikovsky's own paternal grandmother did not, she was murdered at Auschwitz, but others did survive and when they returned to their properties, they were murdered by people who didn't want to give them back or in other ways driven away. This is horrifying even beyond horror, you could say, but it did happen and this is what this girl has to confront. And she confronts it in a much better way than this former Stalinist prosecutor. I mean, they couldn't be more different, right, in yeah. their backgrounds. And Wanda ends up committing suicide. Yes. She's a very interesting character and it's hard to blame her. You can reconstruct the story and you can understand, at any rate, a lot of what she did. She was a young Jewish girl. Her sister married a Jew of whom she disapproved. So Wanda has a Polish name. Her sister was called Rosa, which is a Germanic Slavic name. But she married a man called Chaim, which is Jewish for life. And that suggests that she went to marry Jews who are not urbanized and assimilated, which is also borne out by the fact that they lived in a village. They were peasants. Whereas mm -hmm. this girl was educated, lived in a city, was involved in the magistracy, and we see her lavish apartment. She lives in a different social class, and she says she had nothing but contempt for that man because he was a simpleton, primitive. Nevertheless, her sister loved him and married him and went to live that life, but it eventually cost her her life as they were murdered. But her daughter survived. Now, it's not hard to see why a young woman, an assimilated Jew, might react to what the Poles and the Nazis did by joining the Soviets and right. then leading purges and people's trials, doing justice for the people, as is said, and turning into a horrifying Stalinist she tells her niece, not proudly, but with a certain defiance, that she actually sent persons to their death. I think what mm -hmm. she means there is that she knows about life and death, whereas her niece does not. But it's clear that, on some level, hates herself that she calls herself, with irony, a red Wanda. She was yeah. once known as so communist and so bloody. But this is 1962. Nobody believes in communism anymore, not even these youthful enthusiasts. She's a middle-aged woman now and miserable. She has no ideology. She just thinks that human beings are miserable animals. Yeah, that she, was the next place I wanted to go, is that despite the fact that she was the Stalinist prosecutor, probably with, as you say, a kind of fervent devotion to it, precisely because of what she'd experienced under the Nazis, that enthusiasm and fervent devotion is gone. And we see this shell of a cynical woman. At first, we don't, I guess she's a hard character to like, although she has a certain charm in the way that she um, speaks with her niece. But initially, I don't know about you, I was sort of repelled by her. Yes, I think you're very much right. She is a repellent character, and the movie does hard work, but discreetly to point out that there are a lot of reasons, as I've suggested, for the way she has turned out, and she typifies a certain answer to horror. She returned horror as she saw fit to those who had done horror to her family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
she saw ugliness in the world and it made her ugly. She saw injustice and uh, impiety and she learned to practice them. The actress Agatha Kulesha does a wonderful job of this. It's a hard character to do and it's a hard character to do without trying preposterous justifications or on the other hand, an unbelievable in her case, change of heart. She has no change of heart. She wants to some extent to educate her niece to be like her, to learn mm-hmm. the ugly truth and to be rendered ugly by it and to do something else. She's a woman who no longer believes that any principles are worthwhile or even real. I was that's what I was going to ask you next. Do you think Wanda becomes a kind of evangelist for her cynical nihilist outlook? Or rather, does she just want Anna Ida to confront the ugliness of the world and make her own choices? Or does she really want Anna to flee the convent and not go back? Well, one thing you know about Wanda is that she thinks choices are made out of disappointment. When you're young, you may have fanaticism in you like Anna does for the church or in her own case for the communist party but then you learn better by disappointment and what do you do then you can enjoy some luxuries you can go out drinking and you can have sex with random men so i guess it's a model of liberation in a certain sense mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any kind of future the emptiness of the pretense of success her beautiful apartment and mozart's 41st symphony playing and the woman just jumps off out the window she kills herself the best she has to offer her niece is this ugly truth and telling her, no, I'm not coming to your ceremony, but I'll drink to your health. That's the best she can do. There's something complicated in her character. Her typical phrase in complaint about her niece is that she has beautiful red hair, but always covers it up Mm -hmm. as nuns are supposed to. Now, partly that is a remark about being Jewish. Her niece's Jewish identity has been covered up by the Catholic Church. Because in face of God, she's a nun, not a Jew. And of course, her confession of Christ means no longer being fully Jewish. Mm -hmm. And that's the identity that the aunt herself wants to uncover. But the aunt is in no position to tell her to worship the God of the Torah as opposed to the God of the New Testament because she's a cynical atheist herself. And there isn't really anything she can offer the girl except to tell her to listen to music, have fun, be like other kids. And And it's not a life. Yeah, that strikes me too, now that you mentioned, is the answer to my question, you know, what extent is Vonda kind of evangelist for this nihilistic outlook? In a way, she can't be precisely because she chooses to commit suicide. And so that might be seen in a way, in a strange way, as a kind of sacrifice of herself to Anna, right? Don't follow me, because this is where you'll end up eventually. I hadn't really thought of that before you emphasized the sort of horrible visual of her suicide. But I think that might be an important message to Anna. Whereas maybe at the beginning of the movie, when they first meet, she starts out as a kind of cynical evangelist for this atheistic outlook. Maybe her suicide, in a weird way, is an abandonment of that principle and her self-confidence. Yeah, as much as Anna has a choice, as it were, between the convent and, on the other hand, trying to live in Poland in the 60s, so also Wanda actually has a choice. She could go on with the life she has, or on the other hand, she could try to love her niece instead. The sign of that, of course, is the invitation to her ceremony, becoming a nun, but she doesn't want to celebrate that. She doesn't believe in that, and she will make no room for it, and to some extent, she would rather die. It's because she doesn't feel like she can go on with her life once she has actually found out the ugly truth that previously she had only suspected. 
This is why it's hard to blame the woman. The whole world that she knew is desecrated and the new world in which at some point she believed fanatically communism has disappointed her too. There literally is no future for her. Right. And this reminds me of a phrase of Leonard Cohen's from the song, The Future. It's either Stalin or St. Paul. In some moments of crisis, this is what life looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she cannot believe in Stalin, but she will not follow the church in any way. And so, and it's not hard to see why throughout the movie, her niece, the novice, everybody thinks she's already a nun. She's asked for blessings. She's always told God bless. Mm -hmm. There's a certain difference that the Poles at that time had for the Catholic Church and the people who serve the Church and Christ. That makes sense in older societies in a way it doesn't happen anymore. But I think maybe even now, priests and the nuns might get a certain difference. Yeah. But for Wanda, that's associated with a society that committed all these atrocities. And it is one of the most poignant moments in the movie that you cannot realize, except in hindsight or on a second watching, that it is the wife of the man who murdered Ida, Anna's family, and sent her to an orphanage that asks her for a blessing for her own daughter. But Anna does give that blessing, and she didn't know what she was doing quite at that time, but she never second-guesses that gesture. And that would suggest that the reason Anna doesn't go mad like Wanda does confronted with this horrifying story is that she believes there is a love that conquers everything. Right. You know, they both learn, but it is specifically the young novice who learns that there is this man who murdered her family because he wanted the property. And though they were initially heroes, protectors of these Jews that the Nazis wanted to murder, they later turned executioners. This is a horrifying thing to think about. Yeah. And the man confesses it as a way of burying the past. He says, if you renounce any claim on my property, which the women had never made in the first place, but he was suspicious, then I will take you to their burial part. And even this man, the way he's filmed in the grave when he digs up the place where he buried this family he murdered, there is a suggestion there that even this man, damnable though he is, understands that there is something unholy in what he has done. And he wants these women, especially the young nun in training, the novice, to retrieve those bones, to do what is right by the dead. Mm -hmm. And that is the terrifying core of the movie. And the women together take these bones and take them to their own family plot and bury them there surreptitiously and illegally, of course. They don't tell the communist authorities that they're all trying to bury their family. And they never bring up the matter. They lay the past to rest. But knowing what that man did destroys Wanda and she eventually commits suicide. Mm -hmm. But it does not do that to Anna because she believes in God's power to save souls. And, and then maybe we should talk about the last third of the film after Wanda's suicide. Anna has met a young jazz musician. I think she meets him when they're at a hotel when they're trying to find the family that murdered Anna's parents and brother and so she ends up meeting this young musician and she listens to their performance in the hotel bar i think twice and then eventually anna chooses to go with him and spend a night with him and presumably they sleep together they, they wake up together and and she leaves and so i think this is i mean he explicitly offers her he doesn't ask her to marry him in so many words but he says why don't you join me on my tour of different Polish cities as I tour to play my music, you know, we can have a good time. And, and of course, the movie, she ends up, as you say, going back to the convent. So she chooses, you know, not to join him on this presumably tempting, <laughs> tempting offer in some way. I mean, this is her only experience with men. 
and so she chooses to go back to the convent. So I, I wonder what you think about this young man. I mean, I think he's maybe a few years older than her. I don't think much older. Um, and he offers her this kind of tempting life of the flesh, <laughs> I guess you could say. She doesn't take it. And so I wonder, are we to be surprised by this? I think not. I was actually more surprised by the fact that she chooses to sleep with him than I was by the fact that she goes back to the convent. Yeah, I see what you mean. And I think, you know, he's a perfectly nice kid. They first meet him as they're driving and they give him a lift. He's hitchhiking. He's a nomad. Then they see him perform. He's an alto sax player in a vaguely rock 50s band. They're doing a show for a town that's celebrating its anniversary. Life goes on in all these other places and people are having fun to nice music. There's nothing wrong with that. But of course, in the context of the movie, this young girl, Anna, by her Catholic name, Ida, by her Jewish name, as she finds out about this past, he seems utterly frivolous. There's nothing wrong with him. He tells her, we'll get a dog, we'll get married, we'll have kids. There's a bit of fantasy in this life, actually. Is oh, I forgot about the offer. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean that he's dishonest. He seems to be a perfectly nice kid. But they meet him hitchhiking. And then he tells her, so I've got this gig in Dansk. Do you want to join us? We'll be doing stuff. His right. life is life on the road. By the seaside. Yeah. Yeah. There's not necessarily a lot of future, like he suggests, we'll have a normal life like everybody else, even if it were possible, which it is not for her. So it's somewhat doubtful, but it does introduce, you know, this boy is the personification of things that Anna's aunt Wanda only talks about. The joys of life, what it would mean to be a natural human being, he embodies that. He loves music because it's beautiful and makes you feel good and you can share it with everybody else and they like dancing. Yeah. You can make a living out of it and be on the road. It is a nomadic life, but there is a certain charm to it. And it's time-honored in the European Bildungsroman, going back to Wilhelm Meister's apprenticeship in Goethe. So it's not impossible to understand, but sentimental education in this movie means something different than it would in an Enlightenment novel because of the question of faith. The girl has a seriousness that the boy does not. Yeah, I think it's important just to go back to the detail that you mentioned a moment ago that he does say, oh, we'll get a dog and then we'll get married and have children. He says we'll get married, but he does not ask her directly to marry him. And I think that's an important distinction because it points to this lack of seriousness that you just mentioned. That detail just strikes me as really profound and, and she can't help but notice that. I mean, I think if she had met with a young man with more depth and more seriousness, you know, maybe she would have considered living a life of faith, not as a nun, but as a normal layperson. But I think what he offers her, as you say, is just frivolous, and she can't help but sense that. Yeah, you can see that he's a lovable young man, but that's just not enough. Yeah, he's not, it's not like he's corrupt, certainly not evil. Yeah, no. He's, but like you he's say, he's kid. just... Yeah, he's fine. He's respectful of her and decent, I think. Yes, yeah. very much. And there's nothing wrong with him. What's wrong is partly to do with life, really. So you see characters who are part of the past. There is the suicidal aunt who has been in certain ways corrupted and in certain ways just broken by the experience of evil even beyond tragedy. Hit her family, hit her country, destroyed her world. And at some point she realizes she cannot live anymore. It's an incredibly depressive idea, but it really did happen. And, you know, suicide is the show of moral seriousness in the aunt. There's a shocking thing to realize. Mm -hmm. And she can no longer believe there's any decent way of life because of very real experiences. She's not making stuff up. She's not insane or not in the usual sense. 
Then there's other normal people that you meet in Poland in 1962 and the only ones that are on display are unattractive people to say the least and some of them wicked like the cop who arrests her aunt and keeps her in jail overnight. There is then the family of people who built a normal life on murder and to steal right. property. And It's as you say, they... such events yeah. that what a normal kid, like that boy who plays Americanized music and wants to live an American life a la Bob Dylan or what have you, there's nothing wrong with him, but it doesn't fit moral seriousness. Mm -hmm. You can see what's lovable about him and why the girl loves him, but that is not the greatest love of which she is capable and it doesn't answer to her greatest longings. So Ida, Anna, she adopts this Christian identity and dedicates her life to Christ as best you can tell at the end she's walking the road. That's a journey which suggests that she can live but also is a kind of nomad or at any rate out of the normal world. There doesn't seem to be a possibility to be serious about the crisis that Poland underwent and to live in the normal world in this circumstance. And so she chooses to leave the world again as it were, return to the convent. She does so fully serious now because she has learned both the past of her family and what happened to her aunt. She's there at the funeral and she has learned about love in the merely earthly sense. And it doesn't answer her deepest longings. You cannot replace God by music. America tried that in the 60s, but it didn't work out so well in America either. And that was a nice place to be. It's not like the horror that the Polish people had to go through. It's not the same thing and it's not enough. It's a strange thing to think about. There are very few movies of this kind that this girl is almost an angel. It's things like her anger in one moment at her aunt or her doing the duties to obey the sacred laws of burial or falling in love with this young man and having sex with him, enjoying music. These are the things that are everyday or normal or human about her. Otherwise, she's quite angelic and there's mm -hmm. a lot to be said for a faith that can instill that in people. And with scenes that are, as you say, that Paul Lefkowski's One of his main talents, I think, is this visual capture of faces and then, you know, pain and, and longing in the face. And I love the shots of her when you see her first take off her head vestment. I don't know what the proper term for it is. And it reveals her long hair and how she looks at herself in the mirror and she sort of sees what the young jazz musician sees. So she's discovering herself as an object of someone else's longing. I think that scene is very well done. Yeah, it's very rare to get cinematography this good in movies. As Armand White, who by the way did not like the movie, noted it's imitative of Robert Bresson. But it's not just that. It is suffused with faith in a way that modern cinema usually isn't. And that is to say, it lets people to be judged to an extent by their expressions and then putting that together with their action that just moves you off the screen as you see it. And the men who shot the picture, Richard Lenchevsky and Lukas Zal, were nominated for the Oscar for it. And Lukas Zal, who also shot Cold War, the movie he made afterwards, is again now nominated for the Oscar because everybody was spellbound by this cinematography. I think partly that's a kind of easy way out because if you love the cinematography you don't have to think so much about its moral and theological concerns or its political concerns but it is true that it is a very beautiful movie it's yeah. spellbinding it's hard to say that it's beautiful since it deals with something so terrifying but that's part of the art of the director that itself has a character that harkens back to Christianity There's much in churches and in music and in ritual that is very beautiful. But often what people are talking about is terrifying. Mm -hmm. 
that unusual combination is very, very rare nowadays. We have a degraded version of it, a combination of sentimentality and cruelty, but not this highly aspirational combination of knowledge about the ugly truth and hope in salvation. In certain ways, being secular just isn't enough for this kind of art. Yeah, she plays Ida with such depth and restraint. Yeah, the movie doesn't work unless she delivers the performance that she does, I think. Yeah, and it's hard. She's a young woman, she's beautiful, but she's not the sort of things you'd see on Instagram or in a Hollywood movie. She can't beg for approval, she can't wow you. She has to persuade you of her inner goodness, and that's really, really hard. I can understand why some people just don't believe her and aren't willing to follow the plot, which suggests the steady strength of her faith throughout. She is tested, it's true, but her soul is not actually in jeopardy at any point. The character of her test is doing what's right by the dead. Mm -hmm. Another unusual and unpopular idea, of course. Right. To carry such a plot as a teenager? That's a lot to ask of an actress. Right, I was I think very so. impressed with her. Yeah. Flag, I think we can close on this note. It's a remarkable work of art and it's good to have a chance to talk a bit about the people who made it. Of course, Pavlikovsky, the director, who also wrote the screenplay together with Rebecca Lenkiewicz and the actresses Agata Kulesha, who played the aunt, and even more so Agata Trebukovska, who played Anna or Ida. They are impressive and there is a small part in the movie, in the musical bar sequence for Joanna Kuling, who will turn out to be the protagonist in the next movie we're talking about, Cold War. These movies are five years apart, 2013 and 2018, but this character who is merely an extra in that story becomes the protagonist now. And that's another fascinating movie that will be our next conversation, Cold War, of course. Sounds good. It's been an interesting conversation and I look forward to the next one on Cold War. Thanks a lot, Flag. All the best. Mm -hmm.